In dem Zusammenhang haben wir übrigens auch den, die Vertragslaufzeit um ein Jahr erhöht bis 2023. This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. And welcome to episode 333 of the Yellow Wall Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Wutzko. And today we will talk, obviously, about the contract extension of Jaden Sancho and the whole transfer non-saga around it. And uh, the first friendly 6-0 against uh, Altach is in the bag. And uh, obviously, we have to discuss uh, a couple of new additions and maybe one... Uh, probable addition, I would say. So, um, lots to talk about for the first episode since the season awards and the first episode since the preseason started. And for that and more, joins me Lars Pollmann. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm doing like ice in the sunshine because I'm melting away. <laughs> yeah, I'm also sitting here still covered in sweat because I was just uh, outside having a kick around. Um, since this is sort of the uh, first episode of the new season, if you will, Lars. Uh, do you maybe mind uh, introducing yourself a little bit to the listeners so they know who you are and what you do? I do mind, but I guess I have to now that you <laughs> put me on the spot. I can edit everything uh, out, Lars. <laughs> well, I'm the resident grumpster of the group, if you like. Uh, I'm also the oldest currently speaking. <laughs> at 31 years of age, now that Matthias isn't with us today. Uh, I'm a freelance football writer, just as Stefan is. Uh, you can find my written work in German at the moment, so that's probably not much use to you. And uh, yeah, I mean, really, I don't know what to say, Stefan. Yeah, that's 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 all right. Uh, used to write for Bleacher Report, for example. So uh, maybe maybe I don't know, but uh, back when when that wasn't mostly a social site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to uh, cover Borussia Dortmund for ESPN FC uh, before I moved permanently to Philadelphia from Dortmund, and uh, now I am also a freelance football writer, writing occasionally for Fußball News, just like you. Anyway. Uh, Enough with the pre-talk, Lars, um, since we both sort of follow the news in football, um, I'm uh, and, and you even more so than me right now, I'm very glad that uh, you could really uh, observe the entire Jaden Sancho playout with a very keen and close eye. So, um, yeah, how surprised were you when Michael Soak just in a... In a uh, Yeah, quick quip dropped the bomb on everyone on uh, the so-called arbitrary deadline, uh, August 10th, that, oh yeah, by the way, Jane Sancho con uh, extended his contract last summer already till 2023 and all negotiations are off and Manchester United didn't pay the 120 million and so there's that, he's staying now. How surprised were you when uh, that uh, development unfolded? 
quite surprised about the the one fact that a new contract has already been signed, you know, 12 months ago or whatever it was. I mean, they didn't really specify all the details there. Uh, for example, I think a lot of people have kind of assumed that it was more of an option to extend the contract which Dortmund have exercised as opposed to Sancho signing, you know, a new three-year deal, if you like. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I wasn't surprised at all. I think if you followed this from a sensical point of view, if you like, and meaning not from a British or Manchester United fan point of view, there were really no indications to the contrary of Sancho staying. I mean, the, as you said, so-called arbitrary deadline of August 10th came closer and closer and the evaluation of Sancho's transfer value didn't come closer and closer between the two clubs. I mean, obviously, uh, they didn't have any kind of negotiations because that's not how Dortmund operate with their uh, star players. If you want one of them, they set a price and you can pay that and the player is yours if he's willing. And if you don't, and Manchester didn't even come close as far as we know, uh, the player will say. And I know a lot of people have pointed out that in the in, in the past similar statements have kind of come back to haunt Dortmund in a way but also they really didn't because uh, obviously people pointing to Usman Dembele and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang where in both cases the players went AWOL on strike were not to be found in, in Dembele's case or uh, slouched away in training for a couple of days or weeks in, in the case of Aubameyang uh, and Dortmund still got you know, the the transfer value they put on their player in both cases. I mean, that that still was something Dortmund were quite okay with uh, in those instances. So I don't think that's a scenario that's likely now with Sancho just because of the rigidity of the statements of both uh, Zorc that we've played in, in front of the intro and also of uh, Hans-Joachim Watzke who said, there's no room whatsoever for interpretation. The player is going to stay. And ultimately, I think what this entire thing tells us about, uh, let's say, United's pursuit of Sancho is that A, uh, the player wasn't completely convinced because he didn't push for a transfer, which I think he might have done if the club had come for him that uh, is more appealing at the moment. So... Obviously, Liverpool would be one of them, I think. Uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona. I don't know if, if, if another club would be in that stratosphere at this, at, the, at this point, especially with him coming from Man City and not having the greatest relationship with Pep Guardiola. But uh, I think clearly in his estimation, given all we know, United probably aren't up on that echelon. And conversely also, I think that maybe the interest level of United was a bit overplayed by the media. I don't really see how uh, he was like their number one target, uh, the, the kind of guy that would uh, put the team over the edge and then they failed to come to even come close to uh, a transfer evaluation that might be a bit high in, in their estimation given you know the coronavirus situation and deflation on the transfer market but I mean especially now knowing and I, 
I would assume that the club knew, knew ahead because they might have been in negotiations or at least talks with the the agent. Uh, they they will have known presumably that the contract doesn't uh, run out in twenty two but in twenty three. I mean, I don't know how how much of a, a discount they they thought they would get for Sancho. So I mean. Uh, 120 million, which is the the quoted sum. I don't know if Dortmund ever actually uh, had to tell United exactly how much they wanted for him. But I mean, given that they had the opportunity for weeks after uh, qualifying for the Champions League, which is enough money for a club of that size to you know sanction a big move that I'm really comfortable with, I think this tells us that also the other side, meaning Manchester United, probably weren't uh, as hot on this kind of deal uh, as people made it out to be, and especially as they miraculously are still making it out to be. I mean, every statement Dortmund have made over the last uh, week or so, to the extent of Sancho staying in Dortmund, has been interpreted absolutely falsely and ridiculously by media personnel and, and fans and whatnot uh, in the UK as like a tactical ploy in, in a poker game kind of way. But I mean, Dortmund aren't showing their cards right now or putting their cards on the table. They don't even have cards because Sancho is staying. I mean, there's there's really no debate now after all the things that have been said. And I'd be very surprised now if if something happened, unless, you know, United for some reason suddenly came with an offer that absolutely blows Dortmund and Sancho away. And in that case, I think they would be okay with kind of losing face here. Yeah, I don't know if that would be losing face, say, uh, United now offer 150, 160 million or so. Um, but uh, obviously, it, it was always clear that Dortmund, uh, you know, would set a deadline because they need to find a replacement. And obviously, replacing Jaden Sancho will not be so easy. Um, friend of the show, Adam Dorowski, likes to list um, the players, including the pre-assist or second assist or however you want to call it the pass before the assist and uh, in all competitions Jaden Sancho is is leading this uh, by a by a mile uh, over everyone else he scored uh, 20 goals and has uh, 20 assists and 15 uh, pre-assists and uh, that sort of uh, combines to 55 points as he writes and uh, Julian Brandt would be the second one with 36 so I assume a uh, healthy Royce probably would have been somewhere up there where Jane Sancho is. But uh, just looking at the numbers and the output, um, you you see that Jane Sancho has a value for Dortmund that they really would struggle to replace in so many ways. And uh, I mean, last season we have said time and time again that uh, Jane Sancho. Um, you know, even with this output, there is room for improvement. Sometimes he uh, doesn't look like he's participating. And, uh, you know, you talked about maybe the reluctance of Manchester United to pull the trigger yet. And uh, I can actually understand that because there are a couple of games where Jaden Sancho really uh, didn't defend well and cover himself in glory. I'm thinking, for example, about the... Uh, home, uh, no, the away game against Bayern Munich where he was subbed off very early and, uh, you know, if you spend that kind of money for a player, the expectations, especially, I guess, at Manchester United are sky high, so you really want to make sure you have a player that is ready for that sort of um, role and uh, I'm not entirely sure Jaden Sancho is 
100% there yet. I feel like another season at Dortmund might actually help him or may not. I don't know for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting transfer. And obviously, there's also no guarantee for Manchester United uh, if they are still interested next season that they will get him because I think that uh, uh, other clubs like Real Madrid or Barcelona will have interest as well and will probably come up with, with more money and uh, obviously have more allure at the same time. It's also not guaranteed that Manchester United, for example, uh, requalify for the Champions League um, via the uh, Premier League or so because that's a bit more competitive than, than other leagues. You know, you, you are sure that and certain that Real Madrid and Barcelona will play Champions League every year unless something completely uh, out of the order happens. But uh, as we've seen with the... Uh, uh, coronavirus and how um, football has reacted I, I feel like it, it suits the favorites even more so uh, so there's even less of a chance uh, something crazy happens and unless of course a whole squad or so gets infected but uh, back to topic yeah it's uh, for Dortmund obviously just very great you know I think Dortmund fans were related to learn that uh, Jaden Sancho will stay and uh that uh, he has another year on his contract, meaning that uh, you can be very comfortable in uh, believing and accepting that he will play this year. And obviously, um, you know, it's it's not that unimportant for, uh, you know, other players that came in like Jude Bellingham to have someone there like Jane Sancho. And, uh, you know, I might just play it now because after the friendly, Jane Sancho uh, talked about, uh, you know, being a bit of a, leader and, and and stuff like that show so let's just uh have a quick uh listen to what he said after the game courtesy of Borussia Dortmund's press officer Jane, uh you and the boys seem to have fun out there the first 45 minutes yeah um I like playing with these lot um it's a special bunch and you know we got some special young players coming up and I'm, I'm really happy to be sharing a picture with them and you know guide them you know because once I was in their shoes and I know how it is playing with the, with the, with the seniors. Um, I'm just happy for them. You talk like a veteran player and you're 20 years old, so you feel like a leader already? Yeah, um, obviously I joined at 17 years old, so you know some of the lads are 17 themselves, so I've been there, done that, and you know I can you know, just try and guide them on what's good and what's not good, and you know, hopefully motivate them as well. Switching over to Erling? Um, how did it feel? First 45 minutes, you continue where you left off in the last season, scoring two goals. Yeah, it was hard for sure, but nice to get the minutes, you know what I mean? Boy showed great character, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sancho still, uh, still looking sharp, so yeah, it was nice to get the minutes. And Haaland sharp? Could have been better, but it was okay. Could have been better, you know, we always want more, should have been 5 or 6 now. We're not satisfied with the But still, you know, boy showed great character, you know. And Honestly. And we, we, we showed 100% and, you know, we still got more to improve. What was what was worse, the assist uh, you tried to give to Manu or his right foot? Oh, man. oh it's, it's, it's got to be his yes, right please. foot. You know, I'm sure we're going to, in training, we're going to definitely get him in the, the shooting practice because it's not acceptable, you know. <laughs> 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 no, I'm joking, I'm joking. He's, nah, a, he's a good lad, he's a good lad, you know. Lad, you, know um, you know, sometimes you miss these chances, but this is how you come back and, you know, finish them next you know, time. No, come back stronger, you know what I mean? Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, guys. 
Yeah, anyway, uh, they were joking around a little bit at the end. So, Lars, uh, first of all, maybe uh, how excited are you about the prospect of actually having Jane Sancho and Arling Haaland play together for a full season? I'm quite uh, <laughs> excited, obviously. I mean, I'm still kind of in awe of actually hearing Jaden Sancho's voice. I'm, I can't remember when I last heard it, to be honest. I mean, I don't think he's ever done like too many TV interviews after games or whatever. So uh, that was uh, a bit of a shock almost to the system, if you like, uh, the, that, that British accent coming out of uh, the speakers. But yeah, I mean, uh, two of the best, let's say five, let my, I, 10, whatever best players under 20 in the world. I mean, there's no debate that that's a very exciting prospect. Uh, especially given how they've already linked up with Haaland coming in January pretty late uh, in terms of not being able to train the first few days uh, uh, with a knee injury and uh, obviously a full summer ahead of, you know, a, a fixture congestion in, in the first half of the season. So I'm, I'm sure they are going to have to rotate more than they did before, so they will probably pick their spots a bit where they show their full potential going forward in terms of personnel. But certainly for the the you know the bigger games, having two of the best young players in the world combined, that's that's a great prospect. Yeah, definitely. And uh, not only that, I mean, Jane Sancho also talked a little bit about the uh, you know input of you know. Jude Bellingham, I think he's very excited about him and his playing style. Um, you could see him link up well with the others in the first 45 minutes already. Uh, I was quite impressed, even though it's just against some uh, Austrian Bundesliga team. And, uh, you know, it's it's not the bar for Dortmund. I think uh, someone tweeted that uh, you can probably glean more from an 11 versus 11 training session uh, among just Dortmund players than, than that sort of friendly. But uh, nevertheless... Um, I, I do think that uh, it's good for Jane Sancho to to feel like he has a role and can gain uh, responsibilities so uh, his focus isn't 100% on, on himself and his own career but uh, you know I think having a role to play throughout the season for other players uh, also helps him grow so that is something I'm looking forward to and uh, from the couple of sentences you, you could here, I think I think uh, he's he's ready to take on that responsibility, and uh, yeah, when when the excitement is there, it's it's very good. And uh, I mean, it's 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 kind of nice to have Jaden Sancho sort of as an ambassador. If you look at Jude Bellingham and uh, how Domo managed to to lure him to the West Stadion, and knowing that uh, you know Sancho's ascent played a big influence in that decision. Um, you know, it's it's for Dortmund sort of their their best business model to build the reputation over almost a decade now that they can uh, form elite talent to star players. And uh, that has started under Jurgen Klopp, I would say, and is continuing to this day, thanks to the great work of Michael Zorc. Obviously, not every talent that Dortmund have signed and spent money on has... Uh, Landed a hundred percent, but that hasn't discouraged uh, young players, you know, at the age of 16, 17, 18, 19 to join Dortmund, even though they had interests of, of uh, bigger and better clubs, I would say. 
So that's uh, very exciting, and uh, it's good to know that Jaden Sancho is paving the way also for for uh, English players because uh, while I feel like the uh, uh, talent coming out of Germany have dried up a little, uh, you could, you see a lot of talent right now coming out of the UK, and so it's very helpful for the black and yellows to to have that pipeline somewhat open already. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but uh, I'm I'm certainly excited. Yeah, I mean, I always think it's a bit easy to say it just because there's one English player now, every talent from, you know, Premier League ranks or in the case of Bellingham, a, a, a championship side in Birmingham, uh, wants to come to Dortmund. I mean, there, there's certainly an element of that, I suppose. I mean, Bellingham himself said that uh, seeing Sancho make the steps he's trying to make has obviously been, an, been a help for him, but I think... Uh, as I said, it's a bit uh, too narrow focused uh, to to just point to the nationality. I think overall, having you know a number of players over a consistent amount of time, as you said, consistently make that uh, transition from talent to you know uh, star, if you like. I mean, that's basically what they're looking for, right? Um, that's certainly something that gives Dortmund a special pull and it's something also that everybody's had kind of mentioned. I mean, uh, the, 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 the Haaland's and the Sancho's and the Bellingham's, whenever they sign for Dortmund, they, they, they mention two things and that's a, the stadium, the fans and special atmosphere, which is certainly something that not a lot, lot of clubs can offer. And also secondly, the, uh, the recent history with young talented players. I mean, the, it really speaks for itself. I think Michel Zorc typically says uh, in no negotiations, I only have to point out uh, our recent lineups because there's always, you know, uh, a teenager there in, in an important role or uh, guys making the next steps. I mean, last season, we've already mentioned how great Sancho was, but uh, in the winter, then came uh, Erling Haaland and also Gio Reyna made the first hugely important steps and Matteo Murray got playing time towards the end of the season. Uh, so, the as you said, the pipeline is always open and it's it's a great selling point for Dortmund. Obviously, that kind of strategy also has some tripwires, if you like. I mean, you have a lot of turnover, not a lot of players... Con uh, consider Dortmund, you know, more than a great stepping stone, I would say. So I don't know if it's like the absolute best strategy to maximize your winning potential year in, year out. Uh, if you look at the, the year in an isolated instant, if you like, but uh, it's certainly a great uh, long-term strategy that makes Dortmund consistently uh, exciting, which is also something that we as fans of the game and ultimately fans of Dortmund can also appreciate. I mean, I don't know if th that I would trade that kind of uh, style of being uh, with like one title winning season and then, you know, two seasons of chasing glory with like an aging squad that kind of is over the hill after winning the title. So I don't know if that's a way that I would prefer. So it's certainly uh, nice to see Dortmund still having that pull all the time. You know, the tripwire is definitely inconsistency overall because uh, younger players uh, tend to have 
form go up and down, but uh, I feel like uh, older players experiencing these uh, swings throughout the season as well. Uh, maybe not as, as many mistakes here and there, but uh, you know, you can have the most experienced team and squad and they will still make amateurish errors because that's just the nature of the game. Um, but um, yeah, maybe let's go back a little bit to that friendly because um, I think the, the first goal was scored sort of in the, in the build-up uh, by, by two 17-year-olds and 120-year-olds is uh, Bellingham with the interception, the pass to Haaland and he passes over to Reyna who then uh, makes the keeper and that sort of gives you a little bit of a of a taste of what's to come this season. Um, now, what we have seen during the friendlies and the uh, journalists that traveled to Switzerland to Bad Ragaz to the training camp, they are all saying that uh, all or most of the training form uh, are with the back four. Um, last, I think one of the turning points last season was uh, when Dortmund switched to a back three from a back four. Um, now uh, I feel like I hear the explanation that Favre wants to go back to a back four because of the lack of Acha Fakimi. Um, do you think that's a valid explanation? Do you think there's more behind it? And do you think uh, we will actually see Dortmund go into the season trying to play that back four consistently? Or do you think there will be more of a switch around and that Favre is going uh, you know, to have more tactical flexibility uh, to apply if, if needed? What do you think uh, is in the mind of the coach from uh, as far as you are away? <laughs> Um, I think the flexibility argument makes the most sense. I don't think that they are shifting back to a back four. I don't think personnel-wise that makes the most sense, you know, for week in, week out. Uh, because, you know, they, they, they are left backs, or let's say the left back and Nico Schultz, because he's kind of not really anything at this point. Uh, so Guerrero, uh, he's better served in that more advanced role as a wingback. The same, I think, can definitely be said about Matteo Morey. Presumably also uh, about Thomas Meunier. I mean, he himself described his, himself as like an attacking player who now plays fullback because uh, early on in his career, the, his team needed a fullback and he was one of the youngest players and still able to run quite a bit. I mean, that's kind of what happens on you know, in, in Sunday league football, if you like, uh, all the time, you know, the young guy has to play fullback because that's a, a position with intensive running and kind of stuck for Meunier, but he still has the mentality of an attacking player by his own admission. So, I mean, definitely don't see him and he doesn't see himself uh, either in like a pitch check like role where he can play right side of center half in a back three. So I think... From personnel, it makes more sense to stick with the back three in most cases, not not all cases. Uh, but to me, the, the biggest problem in both instances or in both uh, in tactical formations or whatever uh, is the lack of centre-back talent at this point. <laughs> I mean, they have, they have three uh, out-and-out first-team centre-halves in uh, Hummels, Akanji and Zagadou. Zagadou is uh, out injured right now. Homels has only come back. Uh, Akanji has his struggles uh, with hip problems over the last, I don't know, 18 months or so, and, and certainly also struggling with form from time to time. 
and you know you're once one of them is missing you're already looking at Pischek who might be a full-time center back in a back three but is not a learned center back uh, and Emre Can who might be too important in midfield as a leader kind of guy and and is also not a learned center back even though everybody was kind of saying that that's the position he was going to play and part of the reason why he signed for Dortmund in the first place because it's also the probably the only position where he could you know fit into the starting 11 for the German national team on a consistent basis which is something uh, that he cares about quite a bit so I've, I've always said and I mean we are going to shortly be talking about a potential addition uh, at the uh, top of midfield or kind of an attacking role uh, I've always kind of said that in my opinion especially if they had sold Sancho uh, signing a decent right-sided center half would have been right there atop the list of priorities uh, if I were to write it down so I still think that you know there's a potential weakness that especially in this first half of the season which is going to be Englische Woche after Englische Woche uh, might come back to bite them in the behind. Yeah, I, I fear that too, especially considering how injury-prone the centre-backs right now uh, are. I mean, Zagadou just came back from an injury, if I'm not completely wrong. Uh, didn't he, like, feature in the last game or so against Hoffenheim or so? Uh, so, yeah, um, that's that's far from ideal. You want, obviously, these players to have a, a full preseason because uh, otherwise it's it's going to be really tough going into that sort of schedule. Uh, if you don't have the uh, physical stamina that you need for the season that's ahead of us. So, um, yeah, uh, Zagadou being out for the remainder of the uh, pre, uh, uh, pre-season and then obviously with Borussia Dortmund, you never know how long that actually means. Right now they're saying they don't expect him to be out for too long, but, uh, you know, it's a knee injury. These can always be very complicated and, uh, yeah, it's 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 quite uh, disappointing. So, um I don't think we've discussed the addition of Munir too much yet. Uh, what are your thoughts as him as a as a as a right back coming into the squad? How do you see him and uh, the the style of Dortmund maybe changing with him playing in the uh, position that Hakimi filled before, or or something similar? Because uh, it's obviously not going to be like for like in the playing style. Yeah. Um... I think my uh, most of my exposure is actually not from Paris, but from the Belgian national team. And I, th- I always find that international football is a bit different and, and hard to sometimes uh, gain too much from, from an analysis point of view. Um, I will say that he's saying all the right things off the pitch and, and seems like a, a great addition to the locker room. Also in terms of his age profile, he's among the older players, has experienced a lot of Ups and downs. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I've to, I have to interrupt you because I've I've read on Twitter people being very upset that he was happy about PSG progressing to the semi-final. Very upset. Yeah, idiots, all of them. <laughs> I mean, he's he's he shared the locker room with uh, those guys for how long? Four or five years. Uh, I, I mean, he can be happy about that, and he also committed the cardinal sin recently of saying Schalke are still a good club. Uh, I mean, I also don't have a problem with that. Uh, but yeah, as I said, he, he offers an experience and leadership kind of 
profile to the locker room, which Dortmund can always need or, or make make good good use of, especially considering uh, Marco Reus basically has to be considered a bonus uh, whenever he's he's ready to play and be a full member of the team at this point. And Piszczek is uh, finishing his career this season, so there there's a certainly. A, a bit of a vacuum to be filled over the over the next uh, let's say year and a half or whatever so i think munier is the kind of person to to fit that role i just don't really know yet how uh, he fits into this team from a footballing perspective i mean uh he as as i said before he considers himself an attacking player playing fullback so do we have another Hakimi situation where defense is optional for the fullback, which is a problem. I think he's very likely to be a better decision maker defensively than Hakimi, which isn't hard, but I mean... <laughs> I feel like Hakimi, I, I am that too. <laughs> Hakimi offered so much going forward. I mean, we've talked about it when uh, it was announced that he wasn't going to stay at Dortmund, that he's kind of underrated, which is hard to believe considering the goal contributions he had for... Uh, a somewhat defensive player anyway. Uh so yeah, I don't I don't I don't have enough uh reference points seeing Meunier in this team. But I mean I'm I'm willing to believe that they know what they're doing on the transfer mark because more often than not they do. And the good thing is also there's always still uh, Matteo Morey who will get more minutes than last season, I'm sure. Yeah, Morey looked very positive in the uh, uh, playing time that he got, I would say. And yeah, Hakimi, uh, you know, he scored, I think, nine goals and uh, had 10 assists and uh, six pre-assists, if you will. So um, yeah, he was the number three in, in the Adam Dorowski, uh table with 25 points. Uh, you know, same amount of uh, contributions as uh, Torgen Hazard, who had seven goals, uh, 14 assists and, and three pre-assists. So yeah, obviously um, the the lack of uh, scoring output from Hakimi um, will be felt because uh, Munier doesn't do that quite the same way. Um, so yeah, I'm also very intrigued to see how he will fit in. I really do hope that he adds some more defensive solidity because um, otherwise uh, it's 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 going to be uh, yeah a, a setback, I guess, on on the right side for Dortmund if they don't get that. Yeah, well, I'm like like you. I'm also not entirely sure how the uh, balance will look like with him on on the team and where Favre will utilize him. Um, and obviously, um, something you can't say yet, and that is obviously always very important with the fullback is the, the synergy with the players around him. You know how well is he when it comes to combining uh, on on tight in tight spaces because that what Dortmund do really uh well usually and and like to do that they like to overload the space sort of right next to the uh next to the opposition box that they uh you know have a little triangle with three or four players and just pass the ball around before they uh try to find the way in the box and that's just something that has been consistent over the seasons from from Klopp to Tuchel to uh I think Stöger not so much but certainly Bosch and, and Favre as well so um, that's just an area of the pitch where, where Dortmund players like to concentrate and, and to focus and the right back does play a big role. So if he's good at, uh, you know, uh, passing the ball around quickly, um, I think 
that alone will be a big factor. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to see how well he can build the synergy with his teammates. And, uh, you know, automatism's always important and uh, how quickly he learns which runs to make and uh, which spaces to occupy. I think, uh, you know, especially for fullbacks in, in Dortmund, you sort of need to learn a little bit just, you know, based on instinct, but also based on, on routine, uh, where exactly you need to be. And, uh, yeah, I'm also... Uh, excited to to see how well he can cross because i think that's that's something he might do a little better than hakimi at least he, you know the the uh regular cross uh, i don't know how how well his cut back into the boxes which is obviously also a very important tool in the toolbox that dortmund used to attack so um yeah very in, intrigued and of course the other signing is jude bellingham who only just turned 17 and i think dortmund wired about 23 million uh, as a as a base fee for him to Birmingham City, um, and uh, in the first friendly, you could immediately see that uh, uh, there is merit to to this transfer. Um, obviously, uh, it would be a bit too early to to say that he is uh, you know one of the the best talents ever. But uh, I was I was certainly impressed by by what I saw. I thought he was uh, you know very. Uh, very clever on the field uh, in this in this behavior you know reading passes and uh, the way he, he turns on the ball is uh, very elegant it reminded me a bit of Ilka Gunuan, who uh, is very good when with the 180 on the ball turn uh, that's something that I'm always looking forward to because uh, I think when you play as a central player you sort of need to uh, reset the angle very quickly uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger for example did that always very well and by just turning sort of with and around the ball to just completely uh, reset the angle and uh, everyone else around himself. So Jude Bellingham can do that too. Um, I think in the, in the first couple of minutes of the game, he had a couple of safety passes. But after that, uh, you know, there were a couple of good through balls played by him. So, um, you know, the little showcase we saw against a very inferior side, we have to say, uh, Looked very positive. Um, Lars, your first uh, takeaways, how very insignificant they may be in the end and considering the bigger picture, but uh, nevertheless, first impressions, uh, I I'd like to hear them. Yeah, I think uh, a commanding presence in midfield, uh, especially considering it's his first game in a new environment uh, after... You know, maybe a week of team training. I mean, there were travel times in there and uh, Corona tests and whatnot. So um, I think we kind of have to throw the age thing a bit out of the window, if you like, because he's been a full-time starter in a, obviously from a footballing perspective, not a great league, the, the English championship, but it's a very competitive division nonetheless with a lot of games because there's, 24 teams and he's played 40 uh, pro games of football or whatever, or 42, or, including cup competitions or what, some something along those lines. And that's not Transfer normal. Transfermarkt says for, 44 appearances. Yeah, that's not normal for a just turned 17 player. I mean, uh, the, the natural comparison which we've made earlier is uh, Jaden Sancho because he also came over from England, but Sancho came over from uh, Man City, I don't know if that was reserves or under 18 or whatever that's that would be called in in, in it just in mentions Britain. academy i think is like overarching yeah, term 
whatever. Uh, so I mean, Sancho and and Bellingham they they don't compare whatsoever. Obviously, they also don't compare uh, in that regard uh, in 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 terms of the transfer fee because Sancho uh, cost Dortmund something along the lines of eight million, and it's three times the the amount for Bellingham. Which, you know, from what little we've seen so far and also from hearing people talk about him, not only, you know, Michel Zorg, who has a vested interest in uh, the transfer seeming like shrewd business, but also teammates um, and, and, and guys who watch the, the training sessions live and, and whatnot, everybody's really impressed with him and and. Farfel, who's known to wax poetic about players outside of Gio Reyna. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> um, uh, is also very uh, complimentary of Bellingham. And just like Meunier, uh, the, the, the first impression given off the field is almost more impressive to me than, than what's happening on the pitch just because it's so early in preseason. But Bellingham has certainly also has a presence about him off the field. He speaks very intelligently uh, for a 17-year-old who probably knew very early on that he was going to have a pro football career. I mean, not to <laughs> uh, not to put them all down, uh, but, you know, a lot of young players, they wouldn't be able to articulate themselves uh, quite as impressively as, as Bellingham has so far. And, and I'm certain that's going to remain the case just because he seems like a bright boy so uh, if nothing else Dortmund have added two really good characters from 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 what we can tell and that's also something that's that we shouldn't discount as like a secondary objective I think whenever you try to build a team you have to uh, take into account that you are adding characters to a dressing room and the mixture seems better for having Bellingham and Meunier so that's something they also uh, also should get some kudos for. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we can hear Bellingham speak after the game, again, courtesy of Borussia Dortmund's press officer. Jude, first 45 minutes in black and yellow, how did it feel for you? Um, I loved every minute of it. It was great to familiarise myself with the boys and finally have some competition in, in the black and yellow. So um, I'm buzzing and um, obviously got some goals, had some fun and yeah, really enjoyed it. And you seem pretty comfortable on the pitch already. To be fair, I think... You know, I'm confident in my own ability, but the boys are so good. They made it easy for me. They were outstanding at times, and we played some really good stuff, even though it's our first game back. So um, I'm really happy to be a part of this team. Really. How important is it, 17 years old, a new club, a new league, a new, I don't know, everything, new teammates, to get some good moments, uh, like getting the ball and, and assisting on the first, assisting on the third goal. Yeah, I think obviously that's the kind of player that I am and as soon as I can get into that groove of you know making goals, making chances, making tackles, doing everything right, then I can be more confident when the, the season comes round and hopefully I can contribute then as well. But for now, just trying to get myself to the level that, that I need to get to. Yeah, that back heel to Holland definitely uh, was kind of sweet, wasn't it? Uh, overall, the build-up was uh, very nice in, in, in that goal. Um, so, yeah, uh, Bellingham obviously can play in the um, number six, number eight, and I assume also number 10 position. And I think that's a very good transition to my next sort of subject or topic because you just said Marco Royce, um, you have to consider him right now more as a bonus than anything else. Um, I think Kicker had the statistic that uh, since he 
joined Dortmund, he played 57% of all possible games, which is sadly not a lot and uh, really uh, highlights how injury prone he has been over the years. And um, today I think Bild reported that he might undergo surgery because whatever he has on his abductors and uh, the uh, tendon or so um, is yeah still still uh, painful for him. So he was back in uh, training, I think, at the end of the season. And he, he was in pain whenever he uh, tried to shoot the ball. I guess that's also when the injury happened in February. So... Um, Considering that Lucien Favre may play a 4-2-3-1 system, that may mean that Dortmund have a actual number 10 position and uh, there are a lot of uh, players that would be suitable for that position. So Lars, uh, who wins the number 10 sweepstakes in that particular scenario right now? Because we see Lucien Favre praise Obviously, uh, Girena in in uh, really high high tones, and uh, Jude Bellingham obviously is qualified for that position. But we have also a guy named Julian Brandt running around in that team. So, uh, how are you going to set this up? Well, if it's a four-two-three-one, I don't think Bellingham is really a candidate because he's probably the best option uh, as the second central midfielder next to. John or Witzel, presumably, so a, a somewhat more defensive-minded strategic player. Uh, I mean, uh, Bellingham is a ball carrier, makes a lot of sense in that aspect, I think. I think, generally speaking, Bellingham is m most likely to play uh, a bit deeper than A10 in most cases. So it would probably be uh, about Brandt versus Reyna. And, I mean, for all the praise Reyna gets deservedly so from Favre for his development and always showing positive signs whenever he's on the pitch. I think this would very, very much be uh, Brandt's job to lose uh, because of his experience, because of uh, his quality, which is still very much higher than uh, Gio Reyna's, and also because Favre has shown a willingness to consider Reyna like a super sub, which uh, was the case for basically the entire second level of the season until the coronavirus situation unfolded because he uh, for the first 11 or 12 games of his pro career he came off the bench and had an had a nice impact in, in a, a few games uh, remember his goal against Bremen uh, remember his assist versus PSG in the first leg so I think there's enough time for Reyna to become more than you know the the 12th man if you like on offense uh, and I also think having Reyna on the bench has the added benefit of him being able to play multiple positions, whereas Brandt is really a 10 or a 10 playing in number 8. All right, so uh, I, I, I'm I'm very intrigued with this uh, scenario because, uh, you know, we have a lot of candidates for that position and we also need to have because uh, I assume the rotation machine needs to switch on uh, sooner rather than later uh, considering the schedule. So um, I don't think we have time to discuss the ins and outs of the schedule and whether it favors Dortmund or disfavors Dortmund. Uh, but I have uh, one more subject to, to talk about, and that obviously is the number nine, because if we uh, think back to the uh, last members' assembly um, or one last year where uh, Achim Watzke, Joachim Watzke, 
uh, sort of conceded, yeah, that Dortmund made a mistake by not signing another number nine and then they sold Akasa and uh, signed Haaland. But uh, it's not like that Dortmund necessarily have two number nines. I mean, we have discussed the subject and uh, we know that uh, Dortmund right now do not have the funds to have another number nine. Do you think that Torgen Hazard um, will be the uh, candidate to play that role more often in in the wake of Arling Haaland? Because I don't see him play every game this season. Uh, I think you need to give him rests here and there as well. Or do you think that uh, this problem may solve itself a little bit, not entirely obviously, by the addition of Yusufa Mokoko when he turns 16 in, in November that Dortmund actually have another striker option that's a real number nine because to me Torgen Hazard is many things but he's not a, a true number nine in the Arling Haaland sense well neither is Mukoko to be honest <laughs> um, but yeah I mean Hans-Joachim Watzke has been adamant and everybody who's spoken about Mukoko has been adamant that he is considered a full-time member of the first team squad and uh, if if rules were permitting uh Mukoko would already be playing in these friendlies and he would certainly be an option to come off the bench, presumably, in, in you know, the first actual games of the season. I mean, um, there's there's really no debating that they think he's ready. And from what I've seen, which is obviously quite a, quite little, um, especially at the pro level, because it's only like whatever Dortmund have put up on social media or YouTube or whatever from, from training um uh, training days uh yeah i mean there's there's nothing to suggest to me that he doesn't make the step up relatively easily or even immediately i mean i would certainly assume and that's certainly also what they are talking about that uh mukoko is going to probably have his debut uh on november 21st if the the schedule permit, uh, permits it i mean I think he is going to be 16 on the Friday of like the 14th or whatever match day in November. So if Dortmund have a game on Saturday, he could play then. And honestly, it's probably best to get that out of the way because we all know that as soon as he has his uh, first pro appearance, all the talk about him being actually older than they say he is and, and all the connotations that I don't like talking about and, and that I don't think are fair towards the, the kid himself, that will all come up again. So it would be serving Dortmund best, I think, just to get it out of the way and have him play the first time. And by the time he's played the second, third and fourth time, I think that entire discussion will have died down and, and all, all will be able to uh, concentrate on what he does best. And that is playing football at an at a extremely high level for a 15-year-old kid. Yeah, certainly a lot of uh, great things to look forward to next season or this season. And uh, there might be even more to uh, look forward to, maybe because Dortmund are interested in apparently close on uh, signing uh, Rainier or Heinier Jesus or whatever from <laughs> from uh, Real Madrid, who uh, used to play for Flamengo uh, in the uh, Brazilian Serie A. And... Uh, you know, won the Copa Libertadores recently. Um, he could join Dortmund maybe on the uh, two-year deal like Hakimi did. Um, Lars, I know 
little to nothing about this player other than that he plays centrally as an attacking midfielder and as a um, false nine here and there. Um, if you have anything to say about him further than I, please go ahead. Yeah, I've only seen him obviously in like a couple of games in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, I'm not even sure how how many minutes he got. There, I, I, I should add that he's 18 years old <laughs> for context. Yeah, and he was 17 at the time. Um, yeah, he's. I've talked to a couple of people in the last uh, few days because there were some rumblings behind the scenes uh, already. Um, and and he's been described to me as purely playing type, not quality type, uh, someone somewhat akin to uh, Kai Havertz. So, you know, an at attacking midfielder with a decent presence, not one of those, let's say, typically flimsy, uh, flary attacking players from Brazil. So there's... Uh, people are saying, anyway, that, that he might be able to... Uh, make the transition to Europe, uh, which in the last few years more Brazilian talents than not have kind of failed to make, especially attacking talents. I think Brazil kind of somewhat absurdly for someone our age, Stefan, uh, has, has turned into more of a factory for like defensive players and uh, defensive midfielders and whatnot. But I don't really recall too many great Brazilian attacking talents making the switch to Europe since maybe Neymar. I mean, maybe I'm talking complete shit right now, but I don't remember too many. Like Vinicius Junior or, or uh, Rodrigo of Real Madrid, they both haven't impressed me too much so far. Uh, and and people are saying that Renier or Henier or whatever uh, <laughs> might be a bit more suited uh, at this early point in his career to play in Europe. And and the, the most interesting aspect probably is not only have Dortmund, do Dortmund have a great relationship with uh, Real Madrid, so they even if it's a one-year loan deal, you, you wouldn't have to rule out that turning into something more, especially if, as we talked about earlier, Real might be interesting uh, interested in Jadon Sancho in 2021. Uh, Dortmund were also very much interested in, from what I understand, uh, considered themselves the second favorites to Real when he signed from Flamengo in December or January for uh, 30 million euros, uh, which is obviously a lot for a player from Brazil making the step to Europe. And I think Dortmund are probably quite happy not having made that deal since otherwise they wouldn't have been able to sign Erling Haaland, which, you know, no matter how great Renier might be, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that Haaland is probably a better talent, even though I don't know too much about Renier. So uh, it, it makes sense that they've kind of made this thing happen. If it's going to happen, I think uh, all German media are reporting that it's probably going to happen. So uh, yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that a lot of people are saying is that he's kind of similar to Reiner uh, in, in terms of some of his profile, which kind of contradicts the, the Harvards comparison, in my opinion, because Rayner and Harvards aren't really alike, in my opinion. Um, but I think it's not too bad having two uh, players of Rayner's ilk, because A, he's a great talent, and B, it would make Lucien Favre the happiest man on earth. 
Yeah, that's very true, and also it's never bad to have a Brazilian in your in your team. I feel like that alone uh, heightens the chances to win the championship. Uh, I don't know, might might be just something uh, that Giovanni Alba once said, um, but. Um, no, to be honest, um, I'm I'm excited to see how how it pans out. I mean, you've already teased a little bit that if and when Dortmund sell Jaden Sancho, that uh, you know you might be looking for maybe a, a switcheroo of some kind. That uh, you know, if you sell it to one of the elite clubs, that they might have another talent or or established players or whoever uh, to. Uh, you know, guide the other way just to sweeten the deal a little. I think that's something Dortmund might be looking into here and there because they will need to replace Sancho in, in one way or another. So, um, you know... Yeah, on, on that note, uh, at one point uh, early in the season, from from what I gather, uh, Dortmund were kind of interested in if uh, a deal with United was to be uh, loaning out Mason Greenwood. Uh, which obviously now that he's had his uh, breakthrough in the Premier League and Europa League, that that seems like another kind of uh, situation where Dortmund identified young talent very well. So it's certainly, um, you know, a, a scenario that I think would make sense from Dortmund's perspective, especially given that... Uh, the coronavirus situation, even for a club the size of Real Madrid, will not be completely uh, in the rear view mirror in, in 21. No, that is very true. I mean, the uh, knock-on and after-effects from this pandemic will be felt. Uh, you know, it won't just magically flip the switch in like a couple of months and everything will be gone and back to normal because, A, I don't think this virus will just magically go away like certain presidents like to claim and also don't think it's going to go away anytime soon and hence uh, we'll be probably living with this and the financial uh, uh, consequences of that, especially in the footballing world, but, uh, you know, anywhere else as well. So, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, Dortmund will maybe get 120 million asking price, but we'll see. It also depends a little bit on the kind of season that Sancho will have, because if he improves even more, which is not out of the realm, obviously, for a 20-year-old, that, uh, yeah, that's, that, that can tack on a couple millions here and there. But anyway, uh, Lars, I think that's a very good uh, point to leave it here uh, so please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you if they want on the interwebs uh, they can just follow me on twitter at Lars Polman. very well and they can follow me at Stefan Butzko if you want to get in touch with the yellow Pod, do that also on twitter or facebook at yellow Pod. if you want to read our written content go to theyellowwall.net and uh, to subscribe please use iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or subscribe to our channel on YouTube if you want to contribute financially or sponsor an episode for 10 bucks a pop and get a shout out, go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall for more information. That is all for us for this week. Uh, we will have maybe a, a Q&A part next week. I know, we'll see. Uh, anywho, as always, thank you for listening and until next time.